Verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses ascribeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we have preached, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that can call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So again, another announcement. Uh, that Jorge forgot to say. Uh, Janine and I are bearing, expecting. <laughs> Why did you pick a picture where your face is blurry? Um, I don't know. That's the only thing we can think about right now. I was hoping you would keep the one with Tam on it. She uh, looked very excited. <laughs> she did look excited. I, I cropped it in close because I, I wanted it to be your faces right up there. But then I realized how blurry your face was. Um, are, you, are you wearing the same shirt? No. Same hat. Okay. Same hat. Okay, sweet, sweet. Hey, we love you, dude. And we're so excited for you guys. Um, so, babies, what? Isn't that crazy? Will you pray? Will you pray for our, for our time together? And then also... Um, Hand it off to me because I want to pray for you, okay? All right. Okay. I'll need it. All right. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Dear Holy Father, we just thank you so much. And I know we could go on forever uh, to be thankful for everything that you've given us. Um, I know it's not only for Thanksgiving, but for a Christian is to always be thankful for Mm -hmm. the things you've given us on a daily basis. And and one is uh, Jesus Christ being the eternal uh, Son of God that was sent to die for our sins. And... And how much more we can be thankful for Romans chapter 10, what explains clearly how to, to know and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, I know we can be thankful for the big things like this and even the small things uh, as um, having a baby as well. And God, thank you for being an awesome God and the blessing you've given us. And, and may it just be a blessing to everyone that, uh, that sees it as well. In Jesus' name. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful for what you're doing in our ministry in terms of seeing souls saved, seeing people discipled, seeing people grow in you. But God, we're also thankful for uh, a new work that you're doing in our ministry by bringing in uh, children and um, Lord, letting us see uh, 
firsthand what it means uh, to be uh, disciples of our, of our own families and our homes. And, and so, Lord, this opportunity that Janina and James have together, uh, Lord, we're so thankful for it. We're grateful for the fact that, they, uh, that you're giving them this baby and they have the responsibility of, of raising this child up uh, to magnify and glorify your name and to join us in this work. Uh, it's not a light thing. It, it, it's a big deal. And so, Lord, we just ask that your hand of blessing would be on them, uh, that you would protect Janina, that you would keep her safe, that you would keep the, keep the baby safe, help the baby to grow strong and healthy, Lord. Um, we love you and we trust you. We trust you uh, for their family. And so, Lord, we put this before you and ask that you would continue uh, to see us be fruitful in any way you see fit. Uh, both physically and spiritually, Lord. We, we desire to grow and to see you work in our congregation. We love you, and we ask again that you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yay! You guys are like so out of it this morning. And um, I'm going to actually have a limited amount of space this, this morning, so I don't... I think I have all of my verses. Let's pray that I have all my verses in my... Because I don't have space. I'm going to set this here. And I'll grab it. If I need to thump you with it, it's right there. If I need to grab it, just hit you upside the head with the Bible. I'll do that. It's right here. I'm not opposed to that. Yeah? Jisoo, wake up. Don't look at me like that. She's got a judgy look. You don't think I'm above hitting someone with the Bible? If I need to, I will. You guys are so out of it. Wake up. You are in the house of the Lord. Yeah? Okay. Let's be alive and ready uh, for what God's doing. Um, let's see here. I'm looking for Abishai. Where is Abishai at? She's singing. Okay. All right, all right. Whatever. Whatever. We're clearly not organized today, but that's okay. It's college and young adults ministry. We don't have to be, right? We've got an excuse. Yeah, young adults, right? Okay. Wow, DeAndre. Where's DeAndre? Did he leave? Did he leave us? Dang, that was cool. Wasn't it? To see him up there? We get DeAndre soon. Did you know that? Oh, is this for my Bible? Yeah, it's more space. Whoa, cool. All right. Thank you. Um, all right, so, boy, we, I, I feel like I've been, the last couple months, I've been in and out a lot of the pulpit, and I really, I don't like it. I know God's in it. I, I'm so thankful for Jeff coming in here last week. That's my baby boy, and so that's like little brother coming and, and being in the pulpit and preaching to you. I heard it. It was awesome. I haven't listened to that message yet, but I'm thankful for it already, um, but here I am. I'm back, and I'm stoked, and Brooke's here, and Lindsay's here. Yeah? How's school, Lindsay? Good? Yeah, I haven't seen you for a minute. So this is good. Our, our numbers are a little thin. Like over here, we're missing some people. Um, some of those people are in the choir, but some of you guys are on vacation and whatnot. It's all good, right? Well, we're going to be back in Romans chapter 10. And we've got uh, to finish out this chapter today. Okay, so I think we can do it as long as you guys focus and you're with me. Lon's got a very, his arms are crossed. That's a very focused look. I appreciate that. It gives me confidence. Okay, lock in. Man, in Romans chapter 10, especially after the, the, the difficulty that Romans 9 is in terms of content 
and historical application and the stuff that's in there. And it's kind of, it's, it, was a, it was a long series getting through chapter 9. Now here we are in chapter 10 and it's pretty light lifting, right? Uh, and it's, it's amazing. So we look at, in chapter 9, the history of the, 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 um, the nation of Israel and how God established that work through faith and how His sovereign hand developed a nation of people that would glorify His name and how He did that work. We looked at that history and we looked at all these steps and all these ways in which God was making sure that the nation of Israel would be a nation that glorified Him and, and that He protected them in all these ways. And we see all that and, and, and it's really difficult because at the very end of that chapter we see that the nation of Israel is so far from God and they've rejected Jesus Christ. And then here we get to chapter 10 and the message is this, that, that even though the, the detriment and the difficulty and the brokenness that the nation of Israel faces and the complexity of the issue that they're up against, the answer to their problem is actually a fairly simple one. It's a simple one. Faith in Jesus Christ. So, so the context for Paul, let's, let's, let's back up just a little bit. The context for Paul in Romans chapter 9 through 11 is the salvation of the nation of Israel. And it's not something he just hoped for. It's something that he longed for. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Brethren, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. His heart's desire is that they might be saved. And what we learned the last time we came together is that the Jews missed the Messiah completely. They rejected him over and over again. And in this moment, Paul is writing the Romans. Okay, we're standing squarely in the church age. You understand? In terms of context, we are squarely in the age of grace. And Paul is writing in chapters 10 and he's declaring presently, that God is not dealing with people the way that He dealt with them in chapter 9. That He's not dealing with the nation of Israel the way that He dealt with them in, in times past. While He's preserving them, now, now the Jews must come to God the same way that the Gentiles do. And that is through individual faith. See, this is how God's dealing with the Gentiles and it's how that he'll, deal, he'll deal with the Jews too. It's through heart belief. Salvation is through heart belief. So let's look at verse 9. Let's jump ahead. Verse 9. That if thou shalt... Here's the answer. This is the answer to salvation, period. Okay, you understand? If you ever questioned and thought, well, how, how is it that I can know that I belong to God? How is it that I can know that I'll be in heaven one day? How is it that I can know that I belong to Jesus and that He belongs to me? The answer is right here. It's the answer for the Gentiles, for the Jews, any person on the face of this earth, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. So we know how a Jew or a Greek comes to know Christ. By calling upon the name of the Lord. But let's look, look as Paul dissects this. The, so what we do, what we see here is he's talking about this call, calling upon the name of the Lord, this, this opportunity for salvation. And what we see now is the responsibility for the Christian 
to communicate to the world this truth. You understand? And so for those of us who are saved, and, and last time we got together, you heard all that, and it was fine and dandy, and you checked it off your list. Oh, I've done that. Good for you. Now this week, the responsibility falls square, squarely on your lap. Okay, so be ready to be convicted. Because Paul is about to, to, to declare to us what our responsibility is in the gospel message, in seeing people call upon the name of the Lord. In verses 14 through 21, Paul lays out a biblical logic working backwards. Okay, working backwards, beginning with faith, then addressing the messenger of faith, and ending with the supremacy of the gospel message. All right, so let's begin to look at that. Are you ready? You're not ready. It's all right. By the end of it, you'll be ready. Okay, by the time we get to the end, you'll be ready to roll. Okay, look at verse 13 again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this word call is super important. Call is a term used to describe the moment a person decides to cry out to the Lord in repentance. To call means to invoke the name of, of God. And we know that to call is to lay hold on repentance, a turning away. So when a person calls out to God, what they're doing in terms of salvation is they're repenting of their sin. They're saying, the person that I once was, I'm relenting that person to you, knowing what Jesus Christ has done for me. They're looking to lay hold on forgiveness. To, to call out to God is to receive the forgiveness that He's extended to you by grace. But in order to recognize the need to call out to God, one must first believe. Okay? Now bear with me. Paul here is laying out a very clear line of thinking for us. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss this. What he just said is that the answer to salvation is calling upon the name of the Lord. But how is a person going to call upon the name of the Lord if they don't believe? You understand? If they don't first believe. In order for someone to repent, they have to first believe in the surety of Jesus and the extension of forgiveness. They have to believe that that's an option for them. Belief is to have confidence in the truth of something. You understand? To have, to have confidence in the truth of something. Now, um, does anybody get real stoked about Black Friday? I'm going to need a water, if you don't mind. <clears throat> does anybody get stoked about Black Friday? Is that something that people do? Yeah, Brian posted on, on Facebook this week that he was really stoked about Black Friday. He posted a photo uh, early in the morning of him and his family waiting outside the Aldi on Proust. <laughs> Not exactly how most people define Black Friday. Right? Now let me explain something to you. I, I've only done Black Friday once. That was to pick up a, a pair of the Jordan 11s okay, that came out, I believe it was in 2012, I believe. And I waited in line, and I actually got a pair of Concord 11s. I've never worn them. They're what you refer to as dead stock tennis shoes. It means they don't make them anymore. They're, they're of value. I could sell them right now for about four times what I paid for them. Yeah, it was an investment. I'm giving them to Shepard one day as a gift. Okay, they're, they're going to belong to him. Thanks, dude. Is this... This is the cup that you were drinking out of? No, I got you one earlier, but I started drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you. 
Okay, so I don't do Black Friday, all right, because I think it's stupid for many reasons. Because it's really the heart of it is generally just materialism and consumerism. And I'm not look. I know I, I went to art school and I'm an art teacher, but I'm not trying to be anti-establishment here. I think it's just wicked. Okay, we can talk about it later. But the point is that, that I, I don't. I, there's many reasons why I don't do Black Friday. But one of the reasons is that there's no surety in it. Okay, you get out there and you get in line and you wait with the hope that by chance you might get the thing that you want, right? You know what I'm talking about? So you get there and I mean, I don't know what it is that people are waiting for uh, this, this Christmas season. I, there's, there's gotta be something hot, some sort of toy that parents are waking up and they're waiting in line and they, and they, and they were hoping that they would get and when they got there, it wasn't there. See, I don't like surety, I don't like playing the odds. I'm not into that, that's not my thing. Now listen to me, our faith isn't a shot in the dark faith. It's not a Black Friday faith. It's not, I hope that this might happen. Now see, our faith is about surety. This is something that you believe because you are sure that God is able to do just what he promised. So he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to die for your sins, to raise again to defeat death, and he's extended forgiveness to you. And you only receive that and call upon the name of the Lord if you believe it. Does that make sense? Belief has to come before you can call. Hebrews 11:6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. People can't have, uh, can't have call, uh, or, or they can't call upon or have faith in something that they don't believe. And now here's the problem, though. Are you with me? Let's keep working. We're working here. Here's the problem. And here's our first key question. How can someone believe in something that they haven't heard about? How is it that someone can come to believe in something that they haven't really heard about. You know, Taylor got saved this year. This was maybe this last year, 2016, what was, the, what was the month? October. In October. Okay, now previous to that moment of accepting Jesus Christ, calling upon the name of the Lord and believing in Him, had you really heard much about this grace thing? Like, did you really understand it? No. No, someone had to come and tell you, didn't they? How is it that one can believe in something that they don't fully understand? It's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? How can someone find forgiveness if they don't know it's even an option? You understand? This is a dilemma in our responsibility that we're going to cover pretty heavily here. So belief requires hearing. And this is made plainly in the second part of verse 14. Look. How, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? In order for someone to believe on Christ in the simple terms of the gospel, they need to hear it explained to them. Now listen, this isn't coming in com contradiction with Romans chapter 1. You understand? This doesn't come in contradiction. Every person on earth is responsible for the pursuit of God. Every person. Okay, so while God has said that, that preaching, the preaching of his creation, when we look out on creation, we look out on trees and, and the sun, and we see the, how the, the stars and, and, their, and, their, uh, and the movement of the earth work in correlation, and we see the complexity of the world, it's our responsibility as human beings to have a faith inquiry. 
And God promises us in Romans chapter 1 that if we inquire of God, do you exist? He is faithful to provide a way and an answer to the gospel, to the terms of the gospel. Now, I don't have to understand that. It's a supernatural work. In other words, what God's saying in Romans chapter 1 is if that person on that tiny island in the middle of nowhere who's never heard the gospel comes to a realization that God exists and they want to have faith in him, he will provide a way for them to receive Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how he does that. He leaves it somewhat mysterious. But he promises that he'll do it. But my point to you is that it always ends with someone hearing the gospel. We accept Jesus Christ and we believe in him on the terms of his death, burial, and resurrection. And as believers, we must own the fact, listen to me, as believers, we must own the fact that people don't get saved unless they hear the simplicity of the gospel. And that, my friend, is on us. The onus of that work falls on our shoulders. Now listen to me very carefully. James makes this very plain to us. James chapter 4, verse 13. Go to, uh, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. In other words, we make plans in our life, don't we? We determine that we're going to do this or that, and we make plans, and, and we say this is what we're going to do for the next few days or the next month or the next year. This is the plan of our family, the strategy of our business, and we think in terms of afar off. But listen, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, you don't know what's coming. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. For, the, the, uh, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, James is telling us that even tomorrow is a grace thing. That it's, God, it, it, that it's all God's doing if we even get to live tomorrow. Because life is a vapor and it comes and it goes and it's gone before we know it. Now listen to me very carefully. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Listen to me. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, what am I getting at? Okay, we know as Christians that in order for someone to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be saved from hell, that they need to hear the message of the gospel. And yet, we often know that God is giving us opportunity and we refuse to obey. James is telling us here that this is the sin of omission. To, do, to, to know what good is and not to do it. To know that God calls preaching the gospel good and to not participate in that work is absolutely evil. I explained it to someone this week. If I, if I had the cure for cancer... And I knew that my friend had cancer or a, or a student in my class and I had held the cure. It would be wicked of me. It would be evil of me to not share that, wouldn't it? And yet Christians walk through life knowing that they have the answer to eternity. And yet they find every excuse not to share it. Now listen to me. James calls that sin. It's not forgetfulness. It's not... Simple inconvenience. 
It's not, oh, I didn't have the opportunity that I was looking for. Listen, to know what good is and to not do it is sin. To know that God calls the gospel and the sharing of, of the gospel good and to not participate in that work is absolute sin. And we need to own that fact at the level of our personal stewardship. People need the message of the gospel. People in Malawi and Orissa and Spain and Pennsylvania and Grandview. And who are the people in the world right now? Who are they? Just imagine them. That are, that are walking to brunch with their friends. Or they're, or they're getting in their car and they're going to work. Or they're spending the afternoon watching sports on television. And you know these people in the world. You come in contact with them. You ride the bus with them or, or, you, or you, you walk past them on the sidewalk or they share an office with you. Or they're in one of your classes. Who are these people who never heard the plain message of Jesus Christ come to forgive? Key question number two. By whose voice will the lost hear the gospel? By whose voice will these lost people in the world hear the good news? But we're so busy, though. We've got so much going on. And, and I mean, Thanksgiving was so busy. I was in the kitchen the whole time, and I never got a chance to share the gospel with my aunt. Because it was just really busy. It was inconvenient. It wasn't the right opportunity. And yet you're not promised tomorrow? Listen to me, friend. Who answers for that at the judgment? We have a stewardship. And if the Lord tells us that people call on Him through belief and that belief comes by hearing, then who are they going to hear about Jesus from? Hearing also requires a voice. Look at the last part of verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? And I've, I've often said this, um, especially I remember saying this a lot in the, in, when I wanted, when I wanted the, uh, the high school kids to know their place. I used to say, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. You know, in a world plagued with entitlement, people assume that they are owed a voice at the table. People expect that they should have a voice, that they should have input, that they, that they should be leading, that they should be the ones. And this is true in Christianity. Christians have grown so presumptive of God. And they, be, they genuinely believe, and some of us in this room on, on certain days are convinced of this truth, they believe that the mission of God will either succeed or fail because of their contribution. <laughs> you proud, arrogant, stuck-up child. You know, in my house, my kids don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to do jack. I mean, they can't, like, they can't put dishes away. My son, my son goes outside and pretends to mow the lawn. That's the best I can hope for. Is if it, I know that he's pretending to mow the lawn, that one day there might be something that he can actually contribute to. Like, in my, in my mind, I'm just like, oh, the day. 
when I see him out there with that fake lawnmower. Like, oh, I can't wait. Right? He, can't, he doesn't know how to do anything. I, even I do everything in that house. Right? And the same thing is true in Christianity. Listen to me very carefully. Christianity is a race that was won at the starting line. Christianity is a race that was won at the starting line. It was won at the cross. We run this race in honor of the cross, not despite it. The race that you run in, the one that Paul talks about, you only run in that in honor of what God did. Not, not despite it, not as though that you're the one. Listen, your role at the end of the day as it concerns the kingdom I mean, he's going to get that thing done, you understand? With or without you. You know, Christ declared on the cross, it is finished, didn't he? Establishing that salvation itself is sourced in the completed work of the cross. Does that make sense? He declared it so. Has anybody ever read Revelation chapter 19? Okay. This is, this is a picture of Jesus. It's the scariest image of, of God in the entire Bible that I know of. Okay, it's quite the description, Revelation chapter 19. And, it's, and it's, a, it's Jesus. Okay, imagine for a second. Jesus, all-powerful Jesus. I mean, tongue, a, like a, a sword for a tongue. Clothed in a white garment. Okay, at the very end of the millennial reign, you see him coming through the clouds on a horse. And he sees the job done. All right? The enemies are put down. No more enemies. Done. Simply because he opens his mouth and speaks. Okay? Read it. It's scary. It's absolutely scary. Right? And you know what? There's a description of us in that passage too. Have you guys, seen, have you guys read that? It basically sounds like this. Here comes Jesus full of power, right? No being stronger in the entire universe. Here he comes, riding a horse. And oh yeah, look behind him, there's some saints on horses too. Like we're just riding with him. It's like my son with, with the lawnmower. Like look at what I'm doing, daddy. Yeah, yeah, good job, son. It's, it's not any different. This dude comes in and puts the enemy down and, and establishes an eternal kingdom forever. And we're just kind of riding along with him. It's a, be- it's a beautiful thing. And it, man, it, it lifts a little bit of the pressure. See, God is self-sufficient. He's all-powerful and sovereign. And he does not need anyone or anything to establish the work that he has begun. Except for the fact that he made us. And he made us in the image of his son. And he wants us to be with him. And he's called us alongside him to participate. <clears throat> this last week, um, I uh, worked in the lawn and I did the leaf thing. I had the leaf blower and the rake and the bags. And, uh, and Clementine and Shepard are big enough now where they can come outside and help me. And 
At moments, okay, so let me explain. Shepherd is big enough where he can be focused and he can get some, he actually did some work. And it, was, and it was good. Okay, now I would have done it with or without him. I had to do it. I would have done it with or without him. And I was so grateful for the fact that my son wanted to help me. Now Clementine, she's, she's playing in the leaves. And she, instead of, you know, the bag is sitting here. And she picks up the leaves. And she, instead of putting them in the bag, she goes like this. <laughs> and out of about 50 leaves that are up in the air, about 10 of them fall in the bag. And just in her weakness, listen, I'm so grateful for my daughter. And just the fact that she's with me. Can, is Jesus going to get this work done with or without us? Yeah, he is. But listen to me. He finds so much pleasure in us participating that he's made, he's put the mission of the church age in our hands. You understand? That there are people in this world who will not receive the clear gospel teaching except we go to them. That's a huge responsibility. That's a huge responsibility. He desperately wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us for the mission. God made humanity that we might choose to come alongside him in the work. And this is modeled for us in the Gospels. We can learn this. Many of the miracles that Christ wrought in the Gospels were done at the hands of his servants. In John chapter 2 at the wedding feast, you remember that? Remember when he turns the water to wine? Jesus never touches anything. He tells the servants, look, go fill the pitchers with water to the very brim. And they go and they do it. And when they pull, when they pull the ladle out, it's full of wine. Now, could he have done that? He could have done it any which way. He could, have done it, he could have done that miracle any way he saw fit. You understand? But he chose to do it through the work of servant hands. The feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000, where the breaking of the bread came at the hands of the disciples. They were a part of the work. You understand? He wanted them to participate with him. God has invited us to steward the responsibility of the gospel. And we have been charged to have oversight of a, of a mission that's devoted to souls. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his, and, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when, when they will not endure sound doctrine. And after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. That's the call. You understand? Is to teach and to provoke people unto faith, right? That's the work, to do the work of an evangelist. And many of you, many of you see this vision. Okay, you see it. You see, you see what God is showing us here. But why aren't we doing it? Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, there's this message 
is Jesus Christ can dwell in the person who calls upon him. There's a message. It was once mysterious, but now it's been revealed to the Gentiles. There's this message. There's this thing to teach. Now listen, 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We preach. We, not Paul, not the apostles. You understand? Not the elders, not the pastors in this church. It's not my responsibility alone to preach the gospel. We preach. We. You have responsibility in this work. And here's the beautiful thing is that you attend a church that prepares you for this work. See, this is uncommon among churches today. They, churches today corner the market on truth and activity. This is the way churches look today. This is how they market themselves. The pastor knows. He encourages us. We have a good time. Lots of people show up. Coffee and donuts, activities, fun. Fun for the whole family. But the pastor is the one that holds the keys to the Bible. And everyone else just kind of attends and hopes for some encouragement. That is the majority of the Christian church today in this world. And we, and we put the responsibility on the pastor as though it's his job to get the work done. And you know what? It's the pastor's fault. And I relinquish that. You understand? Right now, I want to declare to you, it is not my responsibility to preach the gospel to every person on earth. It is our responsibility to share the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We all own it. Look at verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Look, at there's an exclamation point right there. Do you see that? You ever notice the punctuation in Scripture? The Bible exclaims, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace. Feet that bring good tidings. Feet that go and invest, not for, not for fame or accolades of any sort, but simply because they know that it's beautiful to God. Have you ever thought about that? A lot of us, a lot of us get real excited about the reward that waits for us in heaven, and that's, that's our motivation. But you know what? Here, God says it's beautiful to me. What if that was enough for us? What if, what if God's saying it's beautiful for me to see my saints go and to preach the gospel? It's beautiful to me. And what if that was just enough for us to do it? That our, fight, our feet might be made beautiful. Key question number three. How can you be used unless you go? Uh, you know, some of you are tempted right now to think that this is like elementary school. Like, this is like the most basic thing I could possibly be teaching. Right? The problem is, we don't go. We don't go. <coughs> Many of us are very, very comfortable with where we're at in our faith. And we don't see this responsibility as belonging to us. But this is a very serious question for you. Leaders, people who, who believe that they preach the gospel. How can you be used unless you go? Okay, well, where are you going? What are you, where is it that you're ministering? Where is it that you share the gospel? To what people? 
If you were to be asked that this morning, would you know what to say? And you don't get to you don't get to just like you don't get to pretend that because you got to witness to someone like six months ago that you're somehow an evangelist. Like because you 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 said you ask someone if you could pray for them at one point that you're somehow an evangelist. I mean I think that that I think if we use Paul as a model, um, you're you're getting off pretty easy with that. I mean, we're talking, about, we're talking about men and women that have bled and died to make sure that they got the gospel to a small group of people in the middle of nowhere. We're talking about a heritage of our faith where people said, it is worth it to go anywhere, anytime, anyhow, that I might win some. We're talking about a faith system where people don't hold their lives as, as having any value at all except Christ be in us. You understand? You don't get to pretend that you're a Christian if you don't model yourself after what we're looking at this morning. Christians preach the gospel. That's what they do. That is, if they want to have beautiful feet. But a voice also requires a message, you understand. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Speaking of the, of the Jews here, okay, remember the context here is the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So listen to me. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now here's my question for you. You might want to go. You might desire to share the gospel. So then my, my next question to, me, to you would be, do you know the message? I mean, I didn't ask you if you grew up in church and you know the stories. I'm asking, do you know the message? Do you know, if someone was to say, yeah, I want that. I want to know Jesus. I want to call upon him. Do, do you know where you'd go in scripture to show them how to do that? Or would you rely on like your memory of like elementary school, uh, uh, you know, Sunday school class. And you heard your teacher say, pray this prayer with me. Right? You remember that? No one's talking about that. I'm talking about using the Word of God, the very message of the Word of God, to show someone from Scripture how they might be saved. Would you even know how to do that question? That's the question for you. You understand? How familiar are you with the Gospel? This next year, our Bible studies are going to take a break uh, to focus on uh, some time on learning how to present the Gospel. Okay? And this is crucial as many of us have not been trained to use God's word to present the gospel with clarity. Many of us don't even know how to do it. You might want to, but you don't know how. And so it's time that you learn. And we're going to do that in Bible study this next year. Just maybe a week or two uh, of, of study together, practicing how to share the gospel. I think that that seems fair, don't you? I think that we need to know the message in and out, ups, up, upside down, backwards and forwards, in every which way. We need to know how to present the gospel to every person who wants to know of the hope that's inside of us. We need to be able to do that. So key question number four is how can you go unless you know? How is it that you can go? What, you know, there's, there's missionaries 
They're going, this, you know, this seems real plain and simple, guys, I know. But they're, let's not take anything for granted, okay? There are missionaries leaving churches every week all over the world, going to other places in the world to build wells, to build playgrounds, to work in orphanages, okay? People that believe that they're sent by God to go anywhere and everywhere, and they don't even know how to preach the simple gospel as, as the word presents it. They don't even know how to do it. You don't believe me? <clears throat> I mean, teaching at a high school opens my eyes to a lot of things. It's a cross-section of the American public. Lost people, saved people, all different denominations, all different types of youth groups. I talk to kids all the time. I'm going on a mission trip this summer. Cool, tell me about it. Yeah, cool, wow, that sounds fantastic. Are you going to preach the gospel? Yeah, I think so. Tell me how. Well, my youth pastor is probably going to... You think I'm joking. This is, this is the script over and over and over again. People do not know. People that call themselves saved do not know how to take God's word and simply present it. It's a shame. It's a shame. The people are going and their feet can't be beautiful because they don't have the message. Now listen to me. This is something that you need to understand. And verse 18 makes this clear. I want to warn you. Let's say you are trained. You have the message. And then you go. And then you speak. And then people hear. Just like the nation of Israel, some will refuse the truth. Verse 18. As concerning Israel. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. You know what Paul's saying here is? The gospel was spread abroad in the nation of Israel. The apostles and the saints, they took the gospel everywhere. And guess what? People refused it. Some accepted, some refused. That's, that is, that's just part of the mission. You understand? That's just part of the mission, that some people will refuse the gospel, and that's no reason to be distraught, because it's not your responsibility to make someone believe. Your job is to present the message. See, God calls it beautiful that you would preach. You know, I remember when I was young, um, and I was kind of a fervent believer, and I had a bunch of other young people around me that were also fervent and excited about the gospel. A lot of times you hear young Christians say, I saved so-and-so. I got to save so-and-so. Okay, now that's just a naive way of speaking. What they meant to say is they got to lead someone to the Lord. You don't save anyone. God saves people. You get to present the message. Everything else belongs to Him. Okay? So, in, you, you need to be fully aware that God is going to do the work, but you have to make His message heard. Verse 19. But I say... Did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. In other words, Moses even said that the Gentiles would get the gospel. You understand? I mean, the, listen, frankly, the Jews are very upset in Romans. Okay? The Jewish Christians are like, what's the deal? Why haven't the Jews accepted Christ? The Messiah came. Why haven't they received? And Paul's like, look, even Moses said that the Gentiles would receive the truth. 
But listen to what he says. I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. His goal is to make the, the nation of Israel jealous. Because we believe. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not for me. See, the direct application here is that the Jews received Christ in light of a Jewish refusal. That's how we got the gospel. Go look at the last message. You can go listen to that. It's on Kaya.live. It explains that. But listen to me. The secondary application is an inspirational one. And it applies to how we see evangelism. Listen to me. I'm about to teach you something. Are you ready? If we carry the message of the gospel of peace, certainly there will be some who refuse. And they'll do so out of pride and of arrogance. But our hand will remain extended to them. But here's the deal. The people that often accept the gospel are the ones we don't expect. The ones that we don't expect. You know, Jesus had a ministry to publicans and sinners. And I don't know if, you, if you've followed the Gospels at all and you've read much about Jesus and his ministry, that he was very, very content in going to the lowlifes, the deadbeats, the sinners, the wicked, the ones that no one expected to follow. Like he, made, he built his ministry on that kind of work. You understand? Now listen to me, believer. You want to you wanna be strategic? When you present the gospel, you should expect that people are going to refuse it out of pride and arrogance. And you know what? That means that you need to, in terms of strategy, find the people that are broken and humbled by their circumstances. This is simple biblical strategy here. Who are the people that are hurting around you? Go to them. Who are the people that are ready to hear a message of forgiveness because they've screwed it up so bad that they don't think there's any way that they can be received of God? Go to them. Because how are they going to believe if they don't hear and how are they going to call on something that they can't believe? Let's make the gospel plain. I don't have time to get into it. Matthew chapter 21, 28 through 32 talks about Jesus is explaining that, uh, that there's two sons. And uh, one son says yes to their father and then ends up not doing what, what the father asked them to do. And then there's another one son who initially says no to the, 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 their father. Okay, he's asking them to go work and, and work in the vineyard. And the first son says, yeah, I'll do it. And then, he's, then he doesn't. Out of pride, he chooses not to. And then there's another son, out of wickedness, initially says no, but later repents of that and does exactly what the father asks. And this is a picture of the Jews and the Gentiles. This is a picture of a people who knew what was right and chose wrong. And then another people who didn't know what was right. They didn't know up from down. They didn't have the answers. They didn't know right from wrong. And yet, chose to repent. See, God's hands are outstretched to the nation of Israel. His hands are outstretched to all people in all places. 
Look at verse 21. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The mercy of a loving God. The graciousness that his hand is, is held out to people out of pride and arrogance and belligerence have refused him over and over and over and over again. And his hand still remains outstretched, knowing that chapter 11 comes and we learn how the nation of Israel actually ends up following God again. That he's making a way for people in the nation of Israel. We'll see more about that, but listen to me. As it applies this morning, I want to say this. Maybe you are that person who just like the nation of Israel, you know that the, the hand of God has been outstretched to you and you know that He offers you forgiveness and He offers you grace and yet you've refused it over and over and over again. But listen to me. The hand remains outstretched. And as long as we have today, we're not promised tomorrow. Just like James said, we're not promised tomorrow. As long as we have today, we have an opportunity to accept the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And, I, and I'm... I'm I'm likewise extending that to you. That's the message. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation for you. Today is another opportunity for you to call upon the Son of God for salvation. Okay, but my other invitation is also for those of you who've known Christ for a long time. And you know for a fact that you are a poor evangelist and you make every excuse to open your mouth to the people that you that are in your life, in your job, in your classroom. You have every excuse and every reason. And, and you think that your ways and your methods are sufficient to God. No, no. This paints a very clear picture. The message comes through open mouths and is received by open ears. And if you do not open your mouth, then you are failing to obey the very God and Creator. The work is the work of an evangelist. Are you doing that, Christian? Are you doing that? I mean, that seems heavy. That's a lot of responsibility, you know? I just don't, I don't think I'm ready for that kind of thing. I mean, like you said, I don't even know how to take the Bible and present. Listen, listen to me. Do you have a testimony of salvation? Then open your mouth. Preach the gospel everywhere, all the time. Why? Why not? Why? Why, why wouldn't you do it? Why, why, why wouldn't you do it? What is the excuse that you find yourself saying over and over again? You literally have the cure for eternal separation from God. You have the cure. You hold it. And yet you remain silent. You know, I told the Bible study leaders this, uh, this last year when we met, we were talking about strategies for evangelism. And I said this, I, I, and I kept hearing this. Well, I've, I've shared the gospel with everyone at my work, and now I don't really know what to do. I've, I've, I've shared the gospel with my friends, and they've all refused. Well, what I see in the Bible is that when people didn't receive the gospel, 
that the Christians would go somewhere else to give it to other people. That's what I see. So, so what they would do is they would, they would dust off their feet and they would go to the next place and they would find new people and they would present the gospel and some would be saved and some wouldn't and then they would go to the next place and some would be saved and some wouldn't and this was the pattern of their life and then one day they died. And they either heard from the Lord, oh, beautiful feet, or they did not. Christian, what else are we going to do? Jesus Christ is worth being right with. If you're lost, accept him today. If you don't know him, receive him today. If you do know him, he's still worth being right with. Start opening your mouth and doing exactly what he asked of you. Worship team, will you please come up? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I own the fact that many times I don't share the gospel. And, and Lord, I, I, I repent. My Holy Spirit convicts me this morning. As I share this, I recognize that, that 